What's up, everyone? Thank you all for tuning in to another edition of Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and we got a pretty fun show planned for you this week here as we bring you back the second installment of our Blind Date Diaries. Last month, we debuted this new concept here on Kicking Out at Two where we, where, where I recapped an event that I'd never watched before from beginning to end. I may have seen clips or highlights or even a match or two, but not the entire event from start to finish. And we're bringing you part two, or should I say the second installment, of that, excuse me, with WWF One Night Only from the United Kingdom, September the 20th, 1997. I'm going to recap that show for you from beginning to end and tell you, was it a good blind date or a bad bad blind date excuse me i'm stumbling over my words here but before we get into that allow me to remind you all that we're on social media and we play a big part on social media and we want you to be a part of that as well so hit us up on facebook facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two hit the like button if you have already then tell a friend to hit the like button all kinds of retro pro wrestling fun going on over there links to archive shows debates and discussions pictures gifs you name it we got it all over there over at facebook as well as our twitter handle our handle is at kicking out to k-i-c-k-n-o-u-t and the number two um same kind of fun over there but a little less of a following trying to build that up like i always tell you so please if you got a twitter and you use it frequently and you use it for wrestling then give us a follow we'd love for you to be a part of the kicking out at two crew over on the twitter machine all right um before we get into the recap, oh, here, one last reminder. Um, Marking Out the Days, Weekend Warriors, another show I'm a part of with Kobe Nida from the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find that show each and every Saturday over on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network on Podbean. What's Marking Out the Days, Weekend Warriors? Well, if you're new to the if you're, if you're new to the, the Kicking Out at Two crew, I do another show with Kobe where we discuss and recap WWF Superstars and WCW Saturday Night from 1990. And we compare and contrast both shows. We talk about the war before the war, the weekend war, so to speak, between the WWF and WCW before the Monday Night Wars. Um, that's been a lot of fun recapping those shows these last several months, and uh, we 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 uh, you know we try to add some pop culture trivia with music and movies and and TV around that time frame when we cover each date of each show. So uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Go check it out if you're a nostalgia buff or you just like retro. Pro Wrestling, then that's another great show for you, marking up today's Weekend Warriors, which you can find over on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network on Podbean. You can also find Kicking Out of Two over there as well. If you go to Podbean and you search Retromania, you'll find all the backlog archive shows of Kicking Out of Two, as well as marking up today's Weekend Warriors, Hulkamania is Dead, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Origins of Attitude, and so much more. There's probably roughly 150, 160 shows between all the, the, uh, the, the, the content we have over there a lot of retro nostalgic pro wrestling and some current stuff with new japan and ring of honor from the gaijin side so uh yeah if you if, if you like all different kinds of wrestling then i think that network is definitely for you so give us a follow and check us out over at pod being the retro mania pro wrestling podcast network um you know, because we're on Podbean, we uh, we also have the availability to 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 venture into many different podcast platforms. So, if for instance, if you like Google Play or you like iTunes, if that's even still a thing by the time this recording drops, or if you like Spreaker or Stitcher, you search our shows, whether it's Kicking Out at Two, Marking Out the Days. Um, 
Hulkamania is Dead, and those shows will come up in those feeds, and you can listen to them through those podcast avenues. So, like I said, Google Play, if you search Kicking Out at Two, you could find a list of Kicking Out at Two shows through the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, because Kicking Out at Two's official home is over there at Podbean on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. I still got a feed over up on SoundCloud.com, so you can search Kicking Out at Two over at SoundCloud.com. You can find all the backlog archives shows and everything up to date over there as well kicking out of two as well as the retro mania pro, pro wrestling podcast network we are all over the podcast platform so there is no way that you can't find us and listen to us each and every week or at your leisure the only place we are currently not at is youtube we're planning on uh, doing a, a retro mania channel over there uh it's, you know still in the early stages of discussing that and planning that but we'll be up there at some point in the very near future so be on the lookout for that and now that we have gotten all the cheap plugs out of the way because that's what we do here every week it's a formula i introduce myself i introduce the topic of the show i introduce our social media i introduce the retromania network and then we get into the topic at hand and that's what usually goes down so um it, it could be very predictable but you know i might throw you a curveball here and there who knows but nonetheless this week the second installment of our Blind Date Diaries. For those of you that didn't catch our first installment, Blind Date Diaries is basically a concept here on Kicking Out of Two where, like I said, I watch a show I've never seen before and then I recap it for all you guys and I tell you whether it was a good blind date or a bad blind date because I've been on plenty of blind dates in my single life. I'm a married man now, but uh, plenty of blind dates where they've been good and some have been absolutely atrocious so i thought you know why not kind of take that vibe and that energy and that concept and bring it to wrestling podcasting and you know there's a lot of stuff on wwe network i've never watched before from beginning to end i may have seen clips and highlights of some things but i've never watched things from start to finish there's a lot of stuff i have watched from start to finish which i which i'll cover on this show as well as on other podcast platforms like marking out the day's weekend warriors but anyhow nonetheless um this this event i never watched from beginning to end because quite frankly it wasn't available to us in the united states this is the very first wwf um international pay-per-view that was canadian uk exclusive held over in the uk in uh, birmingham england on september the 20th 1997 this event was hyped up on wwf programming here in the united states uh mainly because um you know they wanted to they they wanted to engage with the with the international audience and they took some of the storylines that are taking place here in the states and they kind of you know incorporated that into this show here um, with a few of the matches and so um, the main event of this show is Shawn Michaels challenging for the European Championship against the home countryman, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. I'll get into my review of that in just a little bit. But um, this event here, a Canadian-UK exclusive, the only way you were able to get this in the United States is, is if you bought this on VHS at the time. So um, I wasn't able to order this on VHS. It wasn't available on pay-per-view in the United States. The only way I knew that this event happened was they advertised it on television here in the States, and then they showed clips and highlights of it on WWF programming after it transpired um, here in the, here in the United States of America. So um, this was the first time I'd ever watched this show from beginning to end on the WWE Network. Um, you can go find that in the WWE pay-per-view section, the year 1997, the date September the 20th, 1997, WWF one night only UK. Um, this, like I said, this event was available on Sky Sports in the UK as well as in Canada. So, um, 
not available in the United States at the time of this show, at the time that this aired. Um, there was uh, the, the event emanated from the Birmingham NEC Arena. I don't know what it's called now. I think it's got a different name, but um, from Birmingham, England, with 11,000 in attendance. And on commentary, we had Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and Jerry the King Lawler, the usual trio at this time in 1997 for uh, WW for major WWF pay-per-view events. Um, the the the, port, the this show opens with um, some childhood photos of the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith as Jr. is doing the voiceover commentary. Um, there's clips of SummerSlam 1992 and the European title victory as Jr. hypes up Davy Boy's m uh, main event match with Shawn Michaels later in the evening. I thought this was a nice way to to, to set the tone, um, really emphasize the you know the, the centerpiece of this event being Davy Boy coming back to his home country to defend the title against Shawn Michaels. I thought. This was um, th this was very well done. Like I said, this had very little advertising in the United States. They had hyped up Michaels and Davy Boy um, on television, and they gave you a little bit of interaction between the two of them. But for the most part, it wasn't as heavily um, constructed like a, a, a traditional storyline was in the WWF in the United States at the time. So, um, you know, some could say this was like. This is equivalent to what WWE does with the Saudi Arabia shows currently, where they kind of give you a little bit of storyline interaction to give you enough to get to the show, but this is like a this is like a, a spot show, I guess you could call it, um, to some people. But you know, to the to the UK and Canadian audience, it was a big deal, especially the UK audience, because this was like the first exclusive. Um, Pay-per-view that they had of uh, of, of, of of you know major proportions. Um, get a pyrotechnics display to open things up as Vince McMahon welcomes everyone to the show and then we start off with Triple H Hunter Hearst Helmsley taking on Dude Love um, this was the, this was the, the tail end of 1997 and Triple H was involved in a major storyline with Mick Foley you know and his alter ego Mankind but this time he had Dude Love to contend with um Hunter and China come out to some major heat to start the show. Um, I think even at one point someone threw something at them as they were making their way down the ramp. Um, and then we get to Dude Love cutting a promo in the backstage area before he ma makes his entrance. Um, because we're in the UK, he had to do an awful Austin Powers impression. Wasn't really impressed with that. Um, but nonetheless, he still got a good pop when he made his way out to the to the ringside area opening up. Um, this was a fun match. I liked this opener. I was surprised because, you know, the Dude Love character wasn't very um, physically intimidating and imposing like the Mankind character was. And, and, of course, his other alter ego from WCW, Cactus Jack. Um, the dude was more finesse, um, but in like a very comedic way. Um, and he took control early on with the crowd really eating it up. Um, as, as Triple H had tried to gain control over time, the dude would counter with clotheslines and forearm shots, and the audience um, would really get into this match. Um, on commentary, Jim Ross had mentioned uh, you know Foley's background and brings up the Cactus Jack persona, which I found very interesting. Um, first time I could probably recall hearing this, because at that time in 1997, they didn't bring up Cactus Jack. Um, and his and the, the the history of that character from WCW. They just brought up Mick Foley's childhood, and you know how Vince likes to do it. He takes a guy and he you know brings him in from another organization who could have who may have made a big name for himself, and he puts his own twist and spin to it. Um, but this was interesting that Jr. brought up uh, Cactus Jack. Um, you know, uh, several times throughout this match, um, 
for the majority of this match, Dude Love had been capitalizing and working on uh, Hunter's arm with Hunter trying to counter and Dude Love out wrestling Hunter, which was very surprising to see. Um, at one point, he even applied a modified version of the Indian Deathlock, which I didn't expect to see. But then again, this is a Dude Love character that's different from the Mankind and the Cactus Jack characters where Mankind and Cactus Jack throw caution to the wind and they're big brawlers and Dude Love is like, I guess, paying homage to like a to Shawn Michaels in many ways, being a heartthrob character that can wrestle technically, even though it was done in a comedic fashion. Um, the dude wrestled differently, which I thought was very, which, which was very genius on Mick Foley's part to really differentiate those characters. Um, Dude would kind of bring a little bit of Mankind and Cactus Jack into this match as he hung Hunter upside down in the corner and nailed him with that forearm drop to a big pop. Like I said, very similar to Cactus Jack and, and Mankind. Um, and then, uh, you know, he would go for the sweet shin music. Hunter jumps out of the way and then runs to the outside, but then the chase... The chase begins as, as Hunter runs around the ringside area. Referee gets distracted, and Dude runs into a clothesline from China. Um, and this is where we see Hunter kind of gain uh, full control. Um, he gives uh, Dude Love an abdominal stretch while holding the ropes. Referee catches him using the leverage and breaks it up, which leads to a shoving match between the two. The crowd popped huge for it, huge, especially when the referee put his hands on Hunter uh, because he was not backing down. Um, the dude would end up making a comeback and delivering a bulldog for a two count. Hunter then reversed it with a swinging neck breaker. And um, he would then go for a pedigree. But Duner, dude would counter with a slingshot into the corner. Um, after that, Hunter goes up to the top. But dude counters with a top rope arm drag, which was another surprising thing to see um, from dude love. But like I mentioned earlier, and I'll say it at nauseum, this was a different character than the other two. Um and then Dude Love delivers a sweet shin music DDT combo for a two count, but Hunter's foot is on the bottom rope thanks to China. Um, he would then recover and nail another pedigree to Dude Love for the victory at 12 minutes and 51 seconds. Like I said, I like this match. This was a fun opener. I thought that these two guys really got the crowd into it and a great way to start this show um, here at one night only. Next, we go to a pre-tape with, uh, you know, fans being interviewed, giving their predictions for the main event between Shawn Michaels and the British Bulldog. The majority, obviously, in favor of the, uh, the, the home countryman, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. If there were any fans that were um, in favor of Shawn Michaels and giving their predictions, they were mainly females, um, which wasn't surprising. Michaels had a large following with a female audience, whether he was good or bad. Um, the girls loved him. Um, we then get Sunny making her way down to the ring for the guest ring announcer spot. Um, JR thinks that Sunny is a Spice Girl, which I thought was very interesting, uh, which is a, a funny remark nonetheless. Sunny then hypes up the crowd and introduces the participants of this next match, which would be Leaf Cassidy, who we all know as Al Snow. This is before he uh, he took on the Al Snow persona, taking on Tiger Ali Singh. Um, Tiger would uh, would then get the mic as he made his entrance into the ring, highlighting his heritage um, and uh, he n noting that he is a proud Asian Canadian, which the crowd booed him for, which I thought was rather interesting. Um, and I thought he was supposed to be the baby face in this match. Um, Tiger would then say he wants all the children of the world to stay drug free. Um, thanks, Tiger. I appreciate the uh, the, the public service announcement. Uh, he claims to be a true messiah and will messiah, excuse me, and will set the wrestling world on fire. Um, then Tiger Jeet Singh 
His father, who accompanied him to ringside, cuts a promo in their native language to which nobody understood. And then <laughs> very, um, very, very uh, 1997 of Jerry Lawler to uh, make make the remark that uh, Tiger Jeet Singh looks like a New York City cab driver. Um, something that uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be uh, very kind to uh folks of that heritage um in tw in 2019 um, but nonetheless tiger's promo was very vanilla um this seemed to be a back and forth match very slow methodical pacing crowd wasn't really into this match i think because um they, they didn't really know who to cheer for these two guys were just kind of thrown together not a match that was hyped up on wwf television by any means but i think they were trying to introduce tiger um in a, in, in, a, in a major way. I remember he was part of the SummerSlam pay-per-view a, a few weeks prior, uh, where just about a month before that, I should say, where um, he was sitting in the crowd with his father. Um, but, um, yeah, they just didn't really – capitalize on uh on on you know this uh, this debut of sorts for tiger um finish comes where he delivers a top rope bulldog for the win at four minutes and six seconds um like i said the crowd really wasn't into this match i don't think anyone cared to be perfectly honest with you um after this match we see sunny stealing jr's cowboy hat and the guy's having a little fun with uh, some 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 tongue-in-cheek remarks regarding uh you know the the JR and King being, you know, old enough to be Sonny's grandfather, which I thought was rather funny. The chemistry between those guys, obviously, um, unmatched between JR and King and even Vince, too. That three-man commentary booth between those three, which I'm not a fan of three-man booths. I know a lot of wrestling fans aren't, but with those three, I thought it worked very well. Um, we then cut to a highlight package of um, the Ground Zero pay-per-view that took place a few weeks prior as we see stone cold steve austin nailing a stunner on owen hart costing him and davy boy the tag team titles in the fatal four-way against the headbangers and we see that the headbangers are the new wwf tag team champions which then leads us to our next match los bariquas savio vega and miguel perez taking on the headbangers for the wwf tag team championship um this was a fun match the crowd was solidly behind the headbangers um that like hard rock heavy metal kind of um a, you know presentation that the headbangers brought was something that was very popular in that uk culture at that time i don't know if it still is but um it was very popular at that time in that culture and uh the crowd really got into the headbangers for sure um this was a you know the the unorthodox style of the headbangers early on in this match was throwing off the Bariquas. We would see Savio try to out-wrestle Thrasher at times, but the headbangers were uh, surprisingly keeping up on the technical side of things with the Bariquas. But um, the Bariquas would eventually gain control with a lot of double-team maneuvers, frequent tags, isolating Thrasher, um, especially Thrasher in their corner, a lot of rest holds. We get headlocks and um, uh, rear chin locks and things like that. But the crowd was still into the match despite the rest holds. It was a solid match um if i do say so myself we would see mosh finally get the hot tag and start the clean house um the crowd would really get behind this sequence um as he would deliver a top rope hurricane rana to miguel for a two count and then things really get out of control towards the end of this match as all four men are in the ring the referee can't handle it um we see Miguel Perez almost drop Thrasher on his head with a botched version of a power bomb. It looked like he was trying to give him a pile driver, and there were some timing issues, and he almost slipped and fell, but then he, he, he drops him, and as he drops him, um, Mosh then jumps off the top rope and delivers a seated senton, otherwise known as the stage dive for the cover and the win at 13 minutes and 34 seconds. Like I said, this was a fun match. I was surprised. I didn't have any kind of emotional investment in these two teams, 
this match another match that was seemed to be thrown together for the uk crowd um i didn't really uh you know like i said didn't have any high expectations for this match but the crowd was into it and uh you know savio vega a veteran of the game um definitely uh you know knew how to get the crowd into it in terms of uh you know his heel tactics uh, along with miguel perez um I've, I've always been a big savio fan i liked savio vega and uh i thought i i, I hoped for more for him I, i'm not saying that he could have been the, the the wwf world champion but i really hoped for more from him um in the wwf i really felt that he was um a strong character and uh great talent in the ring so um you know his, his skills definitely showed in this match and like i said got the people into it got the the the, the you know the headbangers um uh the, excuse me the the crowd behind the headbangers and just overall it was a very fun match didn't expect it i was pleasantly surprised so i definitely um definitely would uh, would say this was a, a a very good match fun match um we follow up here with a pre-tape sit-down interview as uh, jim ross interviews the british bulldog um davy boy discusses his sister who's going to be in attendance tonight with her multiple battles of cancer um also bulldog dedicates the match to his sister he he indicates his parents his wife um his other sister his brother and his bodybuilding training partner walter o'malley will be in attendance um bulldog talks about how he prepared for this match by dropping two stone which um in american terms uh, equals 28 pounds to counter sean's size and claims that he's ready and considers this the biggest night of his career um very cool you know i wouldn't say great interview but um a nice touch to really give you like a personal attachment to bulldog heading into the main event um i'm sure in one form or another unfortunately everyone in life knows someone or has been affected by someone that they know um with cancer so therefore it kind of you know that that kind of tugs on the heartstrings a little bit when davy boy says that his sister's going to be there in attendance she's been battling cancer and people can relate to that get behind him and especially being in his home country they were really laying it on thick uh for for, for the british bulldog davy boy smith as the 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 number one baby face going into the match with Shawn michaels which i thought was a nice touch it wasn't overkill in my opinion um <clears throat> excuse me the next match here we have um flash funk taking on the patriot um the patriot was a new character in the wwf at the time he had come in and went straight into a rivalry with uh you know the canadian hero brett the hitman heart and so um the uk audience doesn't really take too kindly to the patriot uh when he makes his way out to the ring vince called it a mixed reaction but obviously in my opinion as a viewer watching this back um it was definitely not mixed um they did mention his recent issues with bret hart who um vince claims is a uk favorite um we see a handshake from both men to start the match um lots of times patriots offense in this match would garner a negative reaction um flash funk aka too cold scorpio would be the de facto baby face um the commentators i will say they did mention the negative reaction trying to explain explain why the patriot isn't beloved all over the world um which i felt like was um some covering up I, it was something i felt like it was on the fly you know vince said it was a mixed reaction then you hear the the the, the overwhelming chorus of booze and now they kind of just you know they like i said 
uh, called an audible and uh, you know tried to cover up the uh, the, the situation. Um, the majority of this match was very back and forth. Um, at one point, they even tried to like in mid match switch Scorpio or excuse me Flash Funk as the heel, and Patriot would make a babyface comeback. Didn't seem to work. Crowd really wasn't into it. Um, I did find this interesting. Never seen this move before, um, or either that, or I just wasn't paying attention. But Patriot delivered an atomic drop soup, uh, side suplex combo. Um, which I never saw before. Um, that was a that was an interesting move. Nothing too flashy, but just something that like caught my eye. Didn't really uh, didn't did, never saw that before. Um, like I said, back and forth between the two is they're both trying to get the crowd into this match. Uh, very unsuccessful at best. Um, the probably the highlight of this match is when Funk goes for a moonsault. Patriot puts up his knees, and then Funk nail or Patriot nails Flash Funk with a full Nelson slam, otherwise known as the Uncle Slam, going with his patriotic theme for the win and victory at eight minutes and 47 seconds like i said nobody nobody really seemed to care about this match and it and even at times in this match both you know it seemed like both guys they just didn't mesh well they didn't click there was no issue between the two of them another thrown together match um we have uh, we then move on to um, the LOD uh, in a pre-tape uh, promo, hyping up their match and establishing their history with the Godwins. This is one match. This is the first match on this card. Or I should say the second match where um, we have two teams that have established history with each other, a rivalry that has played out on television on WWF programming going into this pay-per-view, um, being that it's a UK exclusive event, UK Canada exclusive event. This this stems from when the LOD uh, delivered the Doomsday device to Henry Godwin, broke his neck, and then the Godwins came back with a little bit more of an attitude. They weren't those fun-loving country boys anymore. Um, and then they had their match at SummerSlam. LOD would win that. Um, so it was basically a typical promo from the LOD, um, you know, hyping up their match. Uh, they would make their entrance, and the UK crowd definitely delivered a road warrior pop. That's the, you know, the, the phrase that, you know, is, is used when uh, describing um, – pops and reactions in wrestling um this match here was very slow paced between both teams but a physical match nonetheless nothing really scientific about it um the finish would come when we would get a legion of doom doomsday device on phineas for the win at 10 minutes and 42 seconds um, the camera would then cut to Jerry Lawler and Vince, who would then intro JR for an in-ring interview with Ken Shamrock, who comes out to a mixed reaction. Um, JR indicates that Shamrock isn't cleared to compete at this event. Um, and then they show why, as there's a clip of how he got injured in a match with Farouk on Monday Night Raw in a Intercontinental Championship tournament match. It was a spine buster by Farouk causing Shamrock to cough up blood. Shamrock would then... Uh, you know, claim that he's disappointed that he can't wrestle, but that he's coming back and he's not done yet. Uh, typical um, babyface promo here. Shamrock did claim to have gotten a good reaction from the crowd, but as a viewer watching this, I do beg to differ. It was a, a mixed reaction nonetheless. Um, this crowd really plays a big part in the show, as, as you'll kind of get the ongoing theme um, in these next several matches. Um, we then see Rockabilly, otherwise known as Billy Gunn, uh, make his way down to the ring to confront Ken Shamrock. Claims that Shamrock's injuries are false, and then he insults Shamrock by calling his ankle lock a toe thing. And then he slaps him across the face, which which uh, results in a, uh, a big reaction from the audience. Shamrock would then snap, apply the ankle lock on Billy. Uh, Billy taps his officials, try to break things up in the audience, kind of 
I guess you could say they 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 get in the they're in the Shamrock's in their good graces. They they they're solidly behind him. So I guess it took Billy Gunn as the antagonist to really get the audience behind him in this little uh, you know in ring segment here. Um, we then cut to a locker room interview with Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, Vince conducts it from the announcer's desk. Um, surprisingly. A mixed reaction when he appears on screen. Um, I didn't expect this because I remember in 1997, I mean, obviously Brett was beloved in Canada, but they also um, tried to incorporate the rest of Europe and surrounding countries um, as a big Bret Hart territory and a big Hart Foundation beloved part of the world um, in this USA versus Hart Foundation storyline. And... Um, I thought you. I thought the UK was a part of it, but we saw a. We, I, at least when I was watching this, a, a real negative reaction, um, and I didn't really know what to make of it. I was. I was very surprised. Um, Vince would then discuss the match with the Undertaker later in the evening, um, and I think Brett kind of called an audible because he heard the reaction um, because he was starting to uh, really placate to the UK crowd, claiming that they're the best fans and. Um, then he kind of like went in babyface mode and, um, you know, showed respect to the Undertaker. He was very complimentary of his abilities. And then uh, Vince kind of um, throws it out there that, you know, Brett isn't getting the reaction that he had hoped for. And, uh, you know, um, Brett then would say, maybe the, maybe the audience needs to start liking me again. I don't know, which I thought was interesting. Um, definitely telling of the dynamic that we're expecting for that match um and then vince would ask brett to close out the interview if it mattered to him that the crowd likes him and brett says yes and then they wrap up the interview very quickly and we move on to our next match here um the man they call vader um going one-on-one -on -one with owen hart uh, there would be a mixed reaction for Vader as he came out. Once again, crowd dynamic playing a part in this match as well. Um, here's another interesting uh, aspect of this audience. The, when Owen made his entrance, um, he came out to a pretty good pop. And even Lawler on commentary would, would say, you know, that he was confused as to why Owen got a positive response over Brett. Um, and I thought this was interesting, that JR would then remind um, – Lawler and Vince that Owen is a longtime partner of the home countryman Davy Boy Smith and that's why maybe the audience got behind Owen as he made his way out to the ring um, we would see Owen make the the rounds of high five saw the fans you know at ringside um, and then he would enter the ring and when he got on the second rope and raised the Canadian flag the crowd was very mixed so um, I don't know if it's a Canada UK thing that was that was going on during that time period but um the crowd was really – their reactions were interesting during this match. Uh, it was crazy, in my opinion, when I was going back and watching this. Um, and a definitely interesting climate for the WWF fan base all over the world between the United States and Canada and the U.K. And I've kind of brought this up on prior shows where, um, you know, the, the, the Hart Foundation – you know, Canada, USA angle in 1997 and the spring and summer of 1997 really brought a, a different, it really divided the audience um, and was almost a precursor to the way the audience can get divided at times um, currently in today's landscape of WWE, where it was a geographical thing. Um, it was like the North and the South, you know? Uh, so I, it's just, it's very interesting to go back and watch this and see the, the reactions from the crowd and how fickle they were at times. Um, the, um, 
here we have you know Vader's size in this match and his power opposing Owen Hart's speed and agility in this technical wrestling match um I wouldn't say, I should say, in, in Owen's technical wrestling ability. Um, both contrasting styles, they really meshed well together. We saw Vader um, show his power over Owen um, early on, and the crowd were definitely, definitely against Vader at that point. Um, then they started chanting Owen, which was really strange. Um, you know, when Owen was down and Owen was, you know, not on the offensive um, and, and kind of playing defense to Vader's offense. Um, Vader would then really play up his heel persona, which was very similar to what we would see and what I knew, um, you know, the glory days of Vader during his time in WCW, um, you know, which would then get the crowd to be fully behind Owen. And I've said this, and I'll say it again, but Vader's best work is with smaller guys. I think Vader worked very well, and his best work were with smaller guys like Sting and Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, and this match with Owen as well. Um, when when you see, you know, big man, smaller man matchups, the, 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 the narrative in wrestling amongst wrestling fans that I've heard of over the years is that the smaller guy is carrying the bigger guy. But Vader is the exception, in my opinion. Vader and maybe like an Undertaker are exceptions to that rule where they're able to keep up with the smaller guys. They're able to take their size and be able to use it to their advantage in telling the story with the smaller guy. And Vader did that here in this match with Owen. Um, the, uh, the, the, the latter part of this match saw Owen counter Vader's offense with an insecurity to the back of the head and then a sharpshooter, which, which saw Vader reach the ropes. Um, during this sequence, the crowd was really hot and behind uh, Owen for this. Um, commentators were getting all fired up. You could hear the passion in JR's voice. Um, Vader would then, uh, you know, attempt a Vader bomb, um, but Owen would counter it and then deliver a... Um, or counter with his knees, excuse me. Then he would get up to the top rope and deliver a missile drop kick to Vader. Um, got a two count there. Then he would deliver a spinning heel kick to Vader for another two count. And then third time's a charm. He goes up to the top rope for a top rope cross body, but Vader countered it into a sick-looking power slam for the win and the victory at 12 minutes and 14 seconds. This is another match I did not expect to be a, a really great match, but I really enjoyed this match. I would definitely go back and watch this match. Um, these these two guys here, um, their different styles meshed really well. I didn't expect this to be anything to write home about. And knowing um, the history of Vader's run in the WWF towards the tail end of it, his work was starting to um, was was starting to, to to suffer because of his injuries. However, this match here was like Vader of old, um, and I, I I really enjoyed this match. Owen Hart played a good baby face, but the crowd too, like their reactions, where they you know mixed reaction for Vader, big pop for Owen, then a mixed reaction for Owen when he jumps on the turnbuckle and waves the Canadian flag, but then they boo Vader like immediately after when the bell rings and. He overpowers Owen. It was just, it, it was a, it was a very fun match to watch. You could you could hear the the, the you know the, the crowd really dictate the match, and even Jr. Vince and the King on commentary noted the crowd's participation in this match here, uh, which I thought was um, was was rather interesting. Um, we then get a 
clip of SummerSlam 1997, the finish with Shawn Michaels costing The Undertaker the WWF Championship. And then we cut to a pre-tape promo of The Undertaker discussing his match with Bret the Hitman Hart for the title. Um, he would point out that the SummerSlam 1997 finish will not be a factor in this upcoming match and then brings up that the UK crowd is firmly behind Bret and that's not going to matter to him. Um, clearly, this was a pre-tape promo. Um, and they didn't anticipate the UK crowd to kind of be mixed or against Brett, so to speak. So, um, you know, that, that was, that was interesting going into this match. And that to me, like was another telling sign that like this crowd is, is rabid. They're hot. They're, 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 they're going to really dictate how these matches go with, with their reactions. And it makes, and, it, and to me, uh, and a, a major wrestling event, a good show, the crowd obviously has to be into it. But, like, when they, like, overpower and dictate sometimes, it can be a good thing. Now, it's it's it's, it's gone off the rails in recent years with how they, they overdo it and with the chance and they, they try to hijack the show. But this U.K. crowd here didn't really do that. This was, you know, 22 years ago. So this wasn't, you know, this wasn't the days of, you know, social media and, you know, how everyone had an opinion and they, they expressed it, you know, publicly like they do now at some of these events, especially some of the WWE events. But um, they didn't overdo it in this, in this instance here. Um and they played it. They made this match more exciting. Not that it wasn't exciting to watch between Undertaker and Bret Hart, but they made this match more exciting with their with their crowd reactions because it was like a roller coaster when I watched it. It was just you know you hit your peaks and valleys, and you know you, you thought the match was going to go one way, you thought the crowd was going to react to certain things, and they would you know they they reacted to some and not others and the way they reacted to certain things like it was just a, it was an ultimate roller coaster ride that i i really enjoyed watching um undertaker would make his entrance and he would get a strong reaction but brett's entrance as he made his way to the ring was mixed at best i would have to say um Taker, you know, came out early with the with an assault on Brett, and I think you know the commentators referring back to the SummerSlam match um, helped you know kind of tie that together and make that part of this story. Um, you know, early on, as, as Brett would get his offense in, the crowd would uh, the the crowd would boo him heavily, uh, but however. Undertaker would then deliver his offense and it garnered a mixed reaction, which like I said, very interesting dynamic with the UK crowd. I was just, I was, I, I, I remember watching it back and saying like, yeah, that, that, that's, that's very fickle of them. But like I said, it wasn't like overdone. It just made, it made for an interesting presentation and something that like made you, made you want to watch more. Um, you know, a lot of unorthodox brawling between these two early on in the match. I think they really did a great job of, you know, playing up to the, the, the finish of SummerSlam and how that had a role in the early parts of this match with the two of them, um, you know, really trying to go at each other, especially Undertaker towards Brett. Um, we would see Undertaker in control very early on as the aggressor in this match. Um and another thing about this event, too, or at least this match, the referee was very lenient with the rules. Um, you saw some brawling on the outside and even up the ramp um, between both guys. Crowd was getting into it. Um, like I said, more mixed reactions. Brett's offense would eventually become, you know, booed by the audience, but Taker's offense would get a mixed reaction. So it was just very all over the place. Um, 
When they did make their way back in the ring, Brett seemed to regain control with a DDT um, you know, on The Undertaker as the crowd booed him out of the building. I was just, I, 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 it started to build even more. It went from mixed to like totally like against Brett, which I really don't understand. But I think the crowd um, was against Brett because of, of the manner that he won the WWF championship at SummerSlam a month prior. Um, Brett would then begin to stay on top of Undertaker um, with his, you know, with his masterful technical wrestling skills. Um, he would then begin to embrace the heel role more um, as the crowd would give him a hard time. Um, but then when Undertaker did regain control on Brett, uh, he worked on his back a lot with multiple backbreakers and lower back submissions. Um, we saw a little bit of this in the SummerSlam 1997 match. Um, which is a great match, by the way. We actually did a watch-along on our one of our early episodes. I believe it was our second episode ever of the SummerSlam 1997 um, pay-per-view. So you can find that in the archives at the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network as well as... Um, you know, uh, SoundCloud.com and all other podcast platforms available. Um, so, yeah, for a while, Taker was working on the back with the lower back submissions. Um, and then the tide began to turn, and Brett managed to regain control and work on Undertaker's legs. And we saw, you know, the, 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 the masterful technical wrestling skills that embodied Bret Hart's career by, you know, him picking apart a body part and working on it and playing up the, the, the size factor where Brett used his his size and well as well as his his technical abilities to pick apart Undertaker's leg here, um, which would eventually see him deliver a finger figure four around the ring post. Um, referee called for you know a break and Brett eventually broke and then when Brett made it back into the ring, he would then apply a traditional figure four in the middle of the ring to the Undertaker. Um, and then Taker would manage to counter that hold and reverse it with then Brett grabbing the ropes. Um, but after Brett had, uh, you know, gotten out of that jam, he would then go back to work on the leg with a, with, with a leg grapevine. Uh, crowd really getting behind Undertaker at this point. Um, you know, chance for Undertaker, booing Brett, any chance he, he delivered any kind of offense. Um, and then at one point, as things began to intensify, Brett applied the sharpshooter in the center of the ring, um, which saw Undertaker fight his way to the ropes. But instead of countering it, he would then break the hold in the middle of the ring, which they noted that Undertaker was the only guy to do that, and the last time he did that was in the SummerSlam 1997 main event match. Um, Brett would then go for the sharpshooter again, but Taker grabbed him by the throat as the two began to trade shots with each other, and then the crowd would really get amped up, very wild for this sequence. We'd see a lot of near falls from both guys as this match would progress in the, in the, the, the latter parts of it. Um, things, like I said got hot and heavy as the, the match would go on and we saw Brett go for the ring bell to nail the Undertaker but Taker reversed it with a boot to the face then Taker would grab that ring bell and go to nail Brett but the referee took it away and as he took it away Brett took advantage of the Undertaker with a chop block to the back of that leg he was working on once again the psychology there with Brett working on that leg and trying to you know chop down the big man great stuff there um 
Brett would then go for his signature, um, you know, uh, second rope leg drop onto Undertaker's leg. Um, but he sent flying over the top rope and into a cameraman, which uh, you didn't see a whole lot of that. Um, you know, the, 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 the talents um, interacting with the cameraman. Usually those were accidents, and this was another case of that. Um, Taker then makes his way outside and sets Brett into the ring steps, which gets a big pop from the crowd. Um, he would then send him back into the ring and going for old school, which they didn't call old school at the time. Um, they, they didn't even really have a name for this move. They would just, you know, the, when Taker would grab his opponent by the arm and climb the, the ropes and then walk that top rope, they would just be so enamored and in awe of his athletic ability for a man his size. They wouldn't, they, they didn't have a name for this move. Um, not until I believe like Undertaker when he was the American badass years later, um, would yell old school and then the crowd would pop for it and then they just they, they that's what they called it and that's it's been that way ever since um this match then began to become a back and forth affair between both guys different counters between them near falls um including uh undertaker's tombstone um brett would then grab the ropes to, to counter that um and then undertaker as he's attempting to deliver this tombstone while brett is grabbing onto the ropes brett's neck would then get caught in the ropes um which would see um which which would see him hung up in between the, the top rope and the second rope the famous cactus jack spot um the mick foley spot where he would dive through and get caught up in the in the ropes undertaker would then attack brett while he was stuck in the ropes and the referee tried breaking it up but undertaker um was continuing the assault and that's when the referee rang the bell um which we kind of had an idea at that point that it was signaling um undertaker's uh disqualification loss we would see then see him choke slam the referee and then uh we would get officials include as well as owen hart coming to the aid of brett saving him from those ropes um undertaker not thrilled that this match is over he would then assault wwf official gerald briscoe who was out there giving him a choke slam um, which then saw a mixed reaction from the audience uh, which i was kind of surprised by um they kind of turned these guys heel and babyface multiple times <laughs> during this match, this crowd, which made for a very interesting match. Um, and then the official uh, announcement from the ring announcer would see Bret Hart win via a disqualification at 28 minutes and 35 seconds. Um, Undertaker would then stalk Bret and Owen up the ramp, but after hearing that he lost the match, he then tried to chase down the ring announcer, only for the ring announcer to run away, and then Taker exited the uh, ringside area. Um, very disappointed very disappointed as the crowd showed their disapproval of him um going through the curtain but as far as this match goes i thought this was a great match i think first of all undertaker and brett their ability to work well together um they've had great matches against each other and this match was no different um not seeing this match ever until recently watching this for the first time um I would dare say this is better than their SummerSlam match. And their SummerSlam match is great with Shawn Michaels as the referee. But I just loved the crowd and how the crowd was so as fickle as they were. It was a good thing for this match. It made this match more exciting. I've said it before. Um, 
when it comes to the audience and their participation nowadays, it's overdone. It's disrespectful. You know, the hijacking of the show, the entitlement that the audience feels like they have. Um, it, it takes away from a lot of matches. In this case, it didn't. They didn't necessarily hijack. They were just, it's, it felt like the audience couldn't decide on whether they liked Brett or hated Brett. And the same goes for Undertaker. They couldn't decide whether they liked Taker or, or, or hated him. And we saw that in this match. And it made for, um, from a psychological standpoint a very entertaining bout between these two but the storytelling as well brett working on the legs and trying to chop down the big man while the undertaker was using his size and um his power the advantage and using that to work on bret hart's back his lower back to kind of slow the 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 more agile hitman down from uh from from his offensive assault on him i thought that was very well done this to me so far um I would go as far as to say that this was match of the night so far. And this is the co-main event here. Um, <clears throat> as we then cut to a backstage promo with Shawn Michaels, once he hits the screen, the crowd goes crazy, booing him left and right. Um, he would then, you know, in, in Shawn Michaels' cocky fashion, hype himself and proclaim that, you know, after tonight he'll be the first Grand Slam winner in the WWF to hold the a tag team title, the Intercontinental title, the heavyweight title, and the European championship. Um, once he, once he makes that, that proclamation, the crowd, you know, continues with the heavy booing and the heat. And then we would see Michaels leave that backstage area, walk through the, you know, the, the, the hallways and then through the curtain, um, to make his entrance as the heat intensified from this audience. Um, truly a, uh, a a sight to see and i kind of talked about this a little bit on the the canadian stampede um watch party that we did with justin and dennis uh back in july uh, the wedding day watch party which you can find in the archives over at the retromania pro wrestling podcast network on podbean as well as soundcloud.com and any other podcast platform available. Another cheap plug, because that's what we do here in Kicking Out of Two. Don't, sorry, don't want it to be so obnoxious, but, you know, got to plug my shit in, of course, you know. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, um, <clears throat> I had talked about, you know, the prospect of Shawn Michaels being a part of that 10-man tag at uh, the Canadian Stampede. And if Shawn and Brett didn't have that locker room fight in early June and Shawn didn't go home, um, imagine the, the, the heat that he would have gotten um, going into Calgary as a part of that 10-man that team. Originally, that 10-man team was supposed to be Shawn, Austin, um, Sid, and the Road Warriors. Those five against the Hart Foundation, Brett, Owen, Bulldog, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, and Brian Pillman. Um, just imagine Shawn Michaels a part of that team. I mean, that place, it would have been riot-like level. And um, when he when he made his way through that curtain in, in Birmingham for this one-night-only event, the crowd went absolutely crazy. They just they, they showered their hatred for him. Um, and, and in a very traditional pro-wrestling sense, you could – there's a term in wrestling where they, there's heat and then they call it white hot heat. And I think Michaels was borderline when it came to that because that crowd just wanted to, they wanted to lynch him at any chance they could. And the match didn't even start. Um, I was surprised there wasn't more garbage thrown at him during his entrance. But um, the, the, the crowd was, you know, they got into it with him. But at the same time, they were also respectful because they knew he was a performer too. And they wanted to be entertained by it. Uh, so, um, you know, Michaels would make his entrance down the ramp. Um, he would, you know, be, even though with 
with the heat that he got from the audience, he was slapping some of the fans' hands, you know, kind of high-fiving in very babyface fashion. Um, most of those most of those high fives were were towards the female fans because like i said he had a big female following um you know regardless whether he was good or bad vince would even point that out saying that the ladies love him but the young males don't which was which was very true during that time pre- during that time period excuse me uh with Shawn michaels um you then would see him kiss a couple of young female fans on the cheeks as he's, he would enter the ring and taunt the male uh members of the audience um he would get his usual in-ring pyro treatment, and uh, you know, after he does his little song and dance, and he takes off his leather assless chaps, uh, Davy Boy Smith, British Bulldog, arrived to a thunderous pop, um, accompanied by his sister, um, which they had, you know, mentioned earlier in the show, battling cancer. She made her way down to the ringside area. Um, Bulldog would then kind of send her to the guardrail where Diana and Davy Boy's other sister and his brother and other people in the family were in attendance. So, um, you know, the match would then eventually begin. Um, we would see Michael's speed and agility, you know, that style going up against Davy Boy's power and his strength. Um, but at the same time, what's, what's different about this matchup as opposed to other matchups that I've discussed on this show is that both guys, even though they had two different contrasting styles, both guys were still great technical wrestlers. They could both hang with each other bell to bell. What one had, you know, if it, Davy Boy's power and strength, you know, was an advantage over Michaels and Michaels speed and agility was an advantage over Davy boy, but their technical wrestling was like on par. It was like they both each had different traits into their, their styles, but then they also shared one with the technical wrestling aspect, which was fascinating to me and made for their, excuse me, for their, for their matches to be very well put together. I mean, you know, when you have three different, styles of wrestling between two guys like that um it could make for a very roller coaster like match in a good way um and they've always had great matches against each other the saturday night's main event match in 1992 and michaels won his first intercontinental title that was a great match i remember that match fondly um and this match here definitely not a disappointing match that's for sure um we would get huge Davy Boy chants, Bulldog chants um, to start things out. And then early on, we would see Bulldog overpowering Michaels on multiple occasions in this match. Uh, lots of tests of strength, lockups. He would kind of like toss Michaels into the corner. Michaels, you know, as a typical heel, would get frustrated, which got the crowd riled up even more. Um, and he would, you know, powder outside of the ring to get a break. Crowd would boo it. He would eat it up. The crowd would eat up his actions. It was very well done. Michaels, Michaels had like that Bobby Heenan kind of uh, relationship with the audience. Whenever he did something, the audience would react. And then whenever the audience reacted, he would react back to them. Kind of like when Heenan would, you know, hear the weasel chants, he'd turn his head and the crowd would just eat it up even more. And it would just pile on with the chants. Um, you know, like I said, uh, Davy Boy outsmarting him, overpowering him in this early on in this match, had a counter for every single one of Michael's moves. Um, but then he would also slow things down a bit with rest holds and arm, you know, arm bars and 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 uh, headlocks and rear chin locks to kind of slow Michael's down. Um, Davy Boy's character knew that Michael's wanted to speed things up, and Davy Boy had to kind of slow it down um, and, and, and have Michael's play his game, which I thought was a, a nice start to the match. Um, 
We would then see Davy Boy deliver a surfboard maneuver only for the referee to count his shoulders down. And when Davy Boy broke the hold, he got up. He was upset with the referee asking why he did that. The referee said, your shoulders are down. And then that's when Michaels took advantage of the situation, attacking him. And uh, things began to really this was the turning point in the match where things really began to pick up for Michaels. Um, and it would be a, it would be a, um, you know, a, a downfall for Davy boy here. Um, after that, we would see Rick rude, the new insurance policy for Shawn Michaels, who would, who started, um, with the WWF in, in mid to late August, um, aligned with Michaels on television. He made his way down to the ring um, and got involved immediately, breaking up a pin, helping HBK um, stay in the match. And as the referee was distracted after that pinning combination, Davey Boy would be attacked by him outside you know, the, in the ringside area, um, roll him back in. Michaels would then continue to work on the bulldog headlocks, um, several rest holds, working on the neck a little bit too. Um, as we would see the crowd get behind Davy Boy chants for Bulldog, Bulldog, Bulldog. And as the, 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 the chants intensify, Bulldog would attempt to regain control, but Michaels would just counter him and continue, continue the assault. Um, Michaels then started to slow things down himself. Um, and as he was doing that, we would see Hunter in China enter the picture, um, arriving at ringside to really stack the deck against uh, the British Bulldog. Um, and... Because Hunter and China made their way to the ring, the heat intensified. The crowd was really getting, you know, under the skin of Shawn Michaels, getting behind Davy Boy. Um, then that's when we would see the crowd chant, we want Brett, because they knew of the association with the Hart Foundation, and they knew Davy Boy was in trouble. Now, all of a sudden, they want to love Brett. Now, all of a sudden, they need Brett as their hero, because their hometown hero, their home countryman, is is in trouble with, with Shawn Michaels, Triple H, China, and Ravishing Rick Rude, uh, which, I, which really surprised me, because they were not behind Brett um, earlier in the evening, and when Bulldog's in trouble, now, all of a sudden, they get behind the hitman, which was... It, it was a, it was an interesting dynamic. Um, Michaels would uh, continue to um, uh, regain, you know, he would continue his control of the match, um, countering a series of Davies' offensive maneuvers, um, then delivering a series of top rope elbow drops of his own, but without covering. Um, and then as he goes to set up the sweet chin music, Davy Boy countered it with an attempt at a power slam. But as he was in the corner setting up, Rick Rude, who was outside on the floor, grabbed his foot. Michaels distracted the referee. And then Davy Boy managed to make it outside to the floor, um, stumbling onto uh, Hunter, who was outside. Um, and taking him down. Cameraman didn't catch all of it, but when they when the camera cut back, we saw Michaels and Davey on the floor with Hunter um, on the floor as well. Um, and then Davey Boy goes for that power slam once again on the floor, but his leg gets caught in the platform um, and the, the guardrail. The for those of you that you know go back and watch this event on WWE Network the there was a there was a raised platform um, that the ring was being held on and the guard level was not at the guardrail was not at waist level the, like it usually is for the wrestlers it wasn't level with the with the actual floor because the the the, the platform was i'd say maybe about 4 5 feet at best um raised up on the, the from the from the arena floor so um davy boy's leg would get caught in there um and that really turned the tide for him um even more um and then uh michaels would um 
nail him with sweet chin music on the floor and and uh, roll back into the ring. The referee would then be distracted with Michaels and Triple H and Rick Rude attack Davy Boy. Crowd really eating it up. Crowd really getting, you know, really getting angry that, you know, this miscarriage of justice is taking place. And then Triple H would deliver a pedigree to the British Bulldog on the outside ring area. And then as I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, where's Brett? Where's Owen? This is Heart Foundation. Why aren't they together? Why aren't they, you know, why, why aren't they helping him out here? Um, you know, Owen came out to help Brett when Undertaker was assaulting him. Why isn't why isn't, you know, Davy Boy getting help from his his family, his brothers-in-law, Owen and Brett? Um, I was kind of perplexed by that. But um, nonetheless, he gets dragged back into the ring. Um, Michaels would then take his Bulldog's knee brace off um, and throw it at Diana Hart, which got a huge reaction. Um, the camera cut to her with her knee brace in her lap. Um and then Michaels would deliver a figure four leg lock. And as he's delivering the figure four leg lock, the referee has got his back turned um, towards Davy Boy, asking him if he wants to quit. And Michaels would use Hunter and China on the outside as leverage to really crank on that figure four. Crowd really ate that up too. Um, very, very smart heel tactic by Shawn Michaels as well as you know Triple H in China to really get the crowd you know heat against them. I thought that was pretty interesting and cool to see. Um, then the Bulldog would eventually fight to make it to the ropes, but the referee once again distracted with Michaels. Rick Rude, who's right there, nails him with a right hand, um, and still no no hope for Brett Owen to make the save here. I was. I was. I thought at that point, like, oh, they got to make the save at this point. They got to come out for these two, for for Bulldog. Excuse me. Um, Bulldog would then continue the fight with this figure four, but the referee would stop the match and call for the bell at 22 minutes and 53 seconds. Um, as once the bell immediately is rung, garbage is thrown into the ring by the fans, as the ring announcer declares Shawn Michaels the new. World Wrestling Federation European Champion. Uh, Michaels would uh, would then cut a heel promo on the UK audience, calling them limeys, and then uh, disrespecting the Hart family, bragging about the victory. Um, he would then uh, taunt Diana Hart, who was sitting front row, called um, called Diana his little sweetheart, and told her to take a look at what's going to happen next as they continued the attack on Davy Boy. Um, Diana would then make her way back into the ring. Um, and she would rake the eyes of Michaels as he's attacking Davy Boy, but China grabbed her and kind of gave her a bear hug. Um, and as as that's going on, then we finally get Owen Hart and Bret Hart making the save. The crowd is livid at this point. The the ring is littered with trash. They're throwing garbage at Michaels and Hunter and China. Um, as they're going up the ramp bragging uh, that you know over this victory we see them gloating on the stage as the commentators sign off and that is the end of WWF uh, one night only from the UK on September the 20th 1997 um, all right um, as far as that match goes I thought it was a great match it really delivered um, Michaels was easily hateable as a heel and Bulldog being the home countryman like I said they laid on they laid it on thick you know, being from the from the UK, his sister having cancer, they bring her out to ringside. Um, he's here to return to his home country to defend his title against the 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 the, the cocky Shawn Michaels. I really did a good job playing that up. Honestly, I I, I thought it was a um, I thought it was a, a great you know centerpiece of this show. Um, 
you know, to, to really sink your teeth into on an emotional level. Um, the match itself, awesome stuff. Um, you know, both styles meshed well together. Like I said, they may have two contrasting styles, but what they share is their technical wrestling ability, and, and they meshed all that together and it made for a great match. The involvement of Rick Rude as well as China and Triple H was, was, uh, was, was, was put together real well. Like I said, I was kind of surprised that we didn't get any Brett Owen um, involvement in the match um, until, you know, we saw it at the very end. But um, overall, just a, a, an, an exciting match, an exciting atmosphere with the crowd. And, uh, you know, I definitely really enjoyed this match. Um, overall, this was a fun show. There was a lot more positive than there was negative in this show. Um, some surprisingly good matches I didn't expect. Like I said, Vader and Owen, I didn't expect it to be a great match, but I was I, I really enjoyed it. The crowd you know, played a big part in that, as well as the Headbangers and the Los Bariquas for the WWF Tag Team Championship. I really enjoyed that as well. Um, and the crowd was super into just about everything, with the exception of, like, um, Al Snow or Leaf Cassidy and Tiger Ali Singh, um, as well as the uh, the Patriot and the... Um, the flash funk match they were on they were all over the patriot because he was an american character this you know superhero you know usa gi joe type of character but um they didn't really there wasn't any real reason to get behind flash funk other than the fact that they didn't like the patriot because he was from america um and in some cases they didn't um care about the match like i said at times funk uh and and, and patriot didn't seem to click real well and it's almost like on the fly they were trying to call audibles as to who was the heel and who was the baby face and crowd didn't react to it the way they liked those are the only two negatives i could find with this show overall this was a positive show this is a fun show i really liked it and this is definitely a a thumbs up when it comes to uh, an, uh, a blind date and something that I'll probably revisit in the in the near future. I'd probably watch this again for sure. This was a very fun show. Um, this was a good blind date. The meal was good. The overall experiences were good. Like I said, if the negatives of this blind date were those two matches, I could probably equate that to um, you know maybe maybe on a blind date um, you know you, you the the, the Nah, you know what? Never mind. Overall, fun fun show. Good blind date. I give this a thumbs up. And uh, go check it out on WWE Network. It is WWF One Night Only from September the 20th, 1997. It's the first Canadian-UK exclusive pay-per-view. It's on the network. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. I highly recommend it. It was a. It goes two hours and 54 minutes. Um, it's definitely a fun show. So there you have it. Thumbs up on this blind date when it comes to WWF One Night Only 1997. The third installment of our uh, Blind Date Diaries is going to come in the month of December as we're going to bring you ECW's December to Dismember. I have a feeling this is this blind date is not going to be very good. I have a feeling that I'm probably just going to enjoy the meal. Um, and, and the overall date experience is probably going to be very... Um, unenjoyable uh, so uh, you know that's going to come in the first week of December here on kicking out at two so be on the lookout for that but next week 
on the heels of the critically acclaimed Wednesday Night Wars between WWE, NXT, and AEW's show on TNT, we're going to go back in time and we're going to discuss the very first time that the WWE went head-to-head with WCW in prime time. It was September the 11th, 1995. It was the second episode of WCW Nitro versus the already established WWF Monday Night Raw. The Nitro show is headlined by Hulk Hogan and Lex Luger for the WCW World Champion. Championship, and you also saw on the Raw side, Shawn Michaels defending the Intercontinental Championship against Psycho Sid. So we're going to go back in time a little bit, and we're going to recap both of those shows 24 years later and figure out which one was the better show in the first war between both companies, head-to-head prime time, as we get you set and ready for the, like I said, the critically acclaimed Wednesday Night War between NXT, WWE NXT, and AEW show on TNT. It's been heavily talked about for a number of months. It's almost here. Wrestling fans are really pumped and excited, and I thought it would be fitting that we go back in time and discuss the first head-to-head matchup between Raw and Nitro from September the 11th, 1995. So I'm going to watch both of those shows later this week, and then I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a recap. I'll give you my thoughts on NXT and AEW. And this head-to-head thing And just the wrestling landscape in general Because I'm not going to I'll save it for next week Let's just put it to you that way But that's going to be next week And uh, with that being said I think it's time that we put this show Officially down for the three count We will see you all next week